BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Eroding beaches on Chicago's lakefront, warmer winters in the upper Midwest, microplastics in our water. What can any one person do, D? Well, I'll tell you what. Our best hope for saving the planet and ourselves is through the power of we. And I did not say weed. I said we. Okay. W-E, all right? I thought get, you did say weed there. Get to the ninth annual One Earth Film Festival, the Midwest's premier environmental film festival. It's March 6th through the 15th. One more time, D. March 6th through the 15th. There's going to be 26 films. 26. 48 events. 48. 44 counties. And yeah. you're going to engage with filmmakers and experts, all right? Now, the venues include Tesla Gold Coast, Loyola University, Plant Chicago, Old St. Patrick's Church, Chicago Cultural Center, Lake Theater in Oak Park, and more. Got that? It's going to be a test, okay? I'm going to ask you to repeat everything I just said, but backwards, all right? Go to oneearthfilmfest.org. One more time, D. Oneearthfilmfest.org. Dot org. All right, everybody, hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show is just moments away. But before we go any further, we got to thank the following unions once again for jumping on board and sponsoring this program. Unions like the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, sponsored this program. I can talk. And the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, are sponsors. Giant thank you to those unions for jumping on board and helping out this program. And of course, today's Ben Jarofsky's show wouldn't be possible without our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Hour number two, let's go. It is Wednesday, March 4th, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. In this hour of the program, we still got Monroe Anderson in studio. We're talking last night's elections with pollster Dan Cohen. And it's the Ben Jarofsky Show debut of Cook County Circuit Court candidate Jacob Meister. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Dan Cohen in the studio joining Monroe and me, the man's a political junkie. Uh, he's been ready. He's been. All, he was up all night, cr- uh, cracking. You know, doing numbers on his calculator. He's ready to talk. Uh, do, Dee, do we have any updates? Pat Whalen sent us a text that the Bernie was going to have a press conference. Any updates? Anything new? Breaking? Uh, I am not seeing anything as far as a Bernie press conference. I'll uh, be feverishly hitting F five on my computer uh, with updates. Dan, before you got in the studio, were there any updates from Bernie? Because there was sort of a rumor floating around that he was going to pick a running mate. Yeah, uh, I, I watched. Six or seven minutes of it. It was just him framing the race going forward. Not, nothing remarkable. So framing the race going forward, how was he framing it? Uh, again, I only watched, uh, you know, five, six minutes. Uh, he was talking about it being a contest of ideas, which I, I think makes a lot of sense. The dynamics of the race have changed really dramatically. There's a big difference between clearly having two people in a closed contest as opposed to having six or seven, where if you too aggressively go after someone, 
you might take that person down, but you might not be the beneficiary. And I think we, we saw that a lot of times with the dynamics of the race in past months. Um, now he's you know got a situation where you know I, I think he has to explain to people that for all of the buzz and you know whatever is new always gets overstated. Biden did very well. There's no question. Um, and now in terms of overall delegates, they're really close. Uh, at the last count, uh, Biden was 65 delegates ahead of Bernie, and that's without California being done counting um, and Colorado being done counting and Utah. So the states that Bernie actually won, mm -hmm. so that margin will tighten up. So you're looking at a tied race. I think that Bernie would be wise to remind folks that it is a close contest. He could even spin it as, hey, look, everyone lined up behind Biden and we're still neck and neck. Yeah, that's good spin. I like yeah, that spin. Yeah, that is a spin too. <laughs> I like that spin. The the reality last night was uh -huh. uh, you had a number of people who had voted early, and so mm -hmm. when you watch the the delicate count, um, Bernie was winning because these early voters voted for Bernie, but as you got to the people who stood in line in many instances to vote. It, it was it, it, it swung to Biden, mm -hmm. which says, in fact, they're referring to it as Jomo now. Oh, my God. <laughs> You're kidding. <laughs> no, no, right. Exactly. The, the geniuses Joe who come Mo. up with these things. Right, exactly. Jomo. Yeah, Jomo. <laughs> All right. Let's uh, I have a I do want to get into the overall patterns that you see uh, emerging from last night in terms of what we can expect down the road with the future primaries we had uh, to the, the convention in Milwaukee and see if the party can avoid self-destructing. Uh, but let's just talk about two candidates other than uh, Joe and Bernie, and that would be Elizabeth Warren and Michael Bloomberg. We'll start with Elizabeth Warren first. A lot of people that come on this show, we're basically a left-of-center show, Dan and Monroe, you know this. Monroe was flirting with Elizabeth Warren for a long time, flirting for her, not flirting literally with her. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, uh, huh? Hey, uh, uh, were uh, uh, Warren supporters. I don't fool around with married women. That's good to know. Uh, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> But unmarried women, no. Okay, so um, uh, she did really bad. I mean, I don't know how else to sugarcoat it. She didn't even win Massachusetts, her home state. She came in third, didn't even come in second, right? She came in third in right. Massachusetts. Yes. Uh, your takeaway about Elizabeth Warren's campaign? I mean, she's been struggling for a while. Uh, we, you know, we talked about this before. Uh, she had a high point in mid-October. It's been steadily declining. Uh, hit a low point in January, started to turn it around, and then it, she hit her floor again. And she kind of she underperformed by a little bit in most every state, according to the the most recent polling. But that's something that happens in this kind of race where so many voters like more than one candidate that a lot of the final decisions they make uh, you know, are, are still very fluid. And if they look at someone who's not likely to get to the viability threshold to get any delegates, they can, you know, a, a lot of times they'll, they'll move away. So that slight decline in the polls um, is understandable and happens. Um, but she never was able to find a lane to own. Uh, and, you know, and she also had some really bad luck. I mean, the, uh, you know, Iowa, um, where she did well, the only story that came out of Iowa was the fact that they don't know how to count votes. Yeah. yeah. You know, New yeah. Hampshire. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the only story was uh, was Amy Klobuchar who who searched. So she kept 
trying to establish her case. And, you know, some of it, I think, was self-inflicted. There, there were some messaging issues that, you know, did not resonate uh, throughout the campaign. Uh, some of it was bad luck when people were making those final decisions. And I think by the time you got to Super Tuesday, um, you know, the case that she was making in the last few weeks was that her path to victory was that she can accumulate some delegates and have a chance to win in a brokered convention. Yeah. And that's not a terribly compelling argument that people don't want to vote for me in any state or, you know, vote for me number one in any state, but maybe I should be the nominee. So I think that hurt her, um, you know, when people are making those final decisions. She, she was a lot of people's second choice. Mm. Yeah. But that didn't do you any good. Right. Yeah. Uh, and uh, ultimately, do you think that decision to go after Bernie in the debate hurt her uh, beyond repair? Remember that with uh, Iowa? Wasn't it Iowa where she went after Bernie and the, the issue was whether or not, well, it was actually before the debate she leaked it. I thought it was yeah. a really bad decision. So a couple of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the uh, you know, I, I think the popular narrative on that got taken away. Um, I wasn't happy that that came up simply because there had been a good non-aggression pact between the two of them up until that point. Um, and there was just no way to save it uh, once that came up mm-hmm. and once that emerged at the debate. Uh, from what I understand, she did not, the campaign did not directly leak it to the press initially. Um, that it was a comment that she made to some people yeah. shortly after the meeting, which had been more than a year prior to when it leaked. And the folks who she told then brought it to the media. So it wasn't that she did something malicious to target uh, Bernie Sanders. It just kind of blew up in that January debate. Mm-hmm. And and the answer is no. I I think that um, you know I, I think that the two of them could have de-escalated, and they didn't. Uh, and then of course Michael Bloomberg may have been. Uh, I was chortling at the start of the show. It's not really nice of me to do that. I apologize, Michael Bloomberg. But that may have been the worst presidential campaign I've ever seen. It was how did it last four weeks? I've seen some bad polit- political uh, maneuvers, but man, from start to finish, uh, I could just do a whole list. Just the notion. Uh, that was that billionaire's ego. Same thing Donald Trump has, but it's for 40 years, Bloomberg has never had anyone challenge him. I mean, in terms of, mm-hmm. well, um, you, you you say it's beach weather today in Chicago. It's 43 degrees, Mike. It's not, not many people going to the beach. Mm-hmm. They, they wouldn't do that. They'd say, oh, yes, sir. Um, I'm going to go shopping for a baby. Oh, soon. yeah. Right. No, that's the, well, that's like the Republicans. If I'm, I always say this. If Donald Trump were to say the sun rises in the West, uh, the Republican, oh, yeah, he's right. He's got a good point. Right. Fake news uh, that says it's the other way around. Uh, so, yeah, I get your point. He's 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 arrogant. Uh, but it just it, and he was out of practice. He hadn't he hadn't been in a d- debate in a long time. He um, he 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 really thought that his money could buy yeah. in the election, and he actually he was doing pretty good until Clyburn said Biden. Well, I was going to say until Elizabeth Warren eviscerated him in that. Well, she did. Stage. Yeah, that I mean, too. That, oh, yeah, that, that uh, too. Yeah, I mean, it was a combination uh, of the two. Yeah, right. But no, for sure. All right. Well, now we're moving into uh, Monroe's theory. Monroe, why don't you uh, explain your theory a little more? Get uh, Dan's response, reaction to it. Go ahead, J- the James Clyburn impact. Oh, um, James Clyburn, Congressman from South Carolina. Yeah, right. Exactly. 
shifted the entire thing with that one speech that he gave. Because, um, and, and the way he gave it, it was an incredible speech about this older woman who was sitting there and signaled for him. Now, Clyburn is 79. You know, so, he's an older so, woman, yeah. He said, so when you say an over, o- older woman, you know, she was in fifth grade when I was in second grade yeah. type older. <laughs> <Yeah. you know? laughs> but anyway. It's all relative. Right, exactly. But this older woman signals to him to come come over to her. And he comes over and um, then she signals for him to bend down and, and he bends down. And she she whispers in his ear, um, "Who am I supposed to vote for?" And so he mulled it over, and on Wednesday he, he says, "It's Biden," and he did it in such a, a, a really incredible way. You know, he talked about the history between them, and he talked about the things Biden had done for Black Americans. And then he used this line. He says, um, we know him, but more importantly, he knows us. And then Biden went on to uh, win what? What was the percent of the black vote he won in South Carolina primaries? 60-something. Uh, 60-something? Yeah. Trouncing, uh, end up trouncing Bernie Sanders yep. in South yep. Carolina. Yep. Right. And uh, totally turned the narrative around in terms of his and campaign. And last night he got in some places, he got... Uh, Biden got 70%. Well, according to that, we'll get into exit polls yeah, in a little right. while. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you buy Monroe's theory? Yeah. Um, I mean, a lot of, uh, there was a lot of concern among the moderate candidates that people didn't have a path. So there was certainly that opening. Um, Biden has always had uh, the strongest support among African-American voters. Um, and to the extent that there was some fluidity and the fact that Bloomberg was targeting the African-American community very deliberately and putting a lot of money behind yeah. it, um, that uh, seal of approval, without question, solidified uh, that voting block and carried him to a overwhelming victory in South Carolina, which certainly played a role in how people perceived him uh, for yesterday and helped him in, you know, not just Southern states and not just with African-American voters. Right. That was the first primary he had won yeah. in his life. Ever. Ever. No, it's unbelievable. I yeah. mean, presidential yeah. primary. Yeah, right, yeah. Presidential, presidential primary. primary. Right. Yeah, no, I... Three uh, runs. I, I, he gets I, around the winning one. Speaking five. of old people, I, I've watched I've watched Joe Biden's pretty much his entire career. I've got a mini fascination with Joe Biden. He was, he was number three on my list. Uh, you know, I made everybody do their top three. Most people ducked and dodged. But I, he was number three on my list. And uh, I remember his disastrous primary run in 88 when he had to step out step down because he was caught plagiarizing a speech by neil kinnock from uh, uh england i remember those are such innocent times i know right? they're such i know it's like trump's such a liar nothing yeah but the democrats always have this is one of my favorite themes dan it's like the democrats play by rules that the republicans don't even pretend exist you know what oh, I'm saying? yeah let me tell you can, can i give you a quick joke from back then Back, from 88? Yes, exactly. Oh, God, I can remember a joke that, from 88? Right, I know, because it was so incredible. Okay, you have Jimmy Carter, uh, Nick Richard Nixon, uh-huh. um, Gary Hart, 
Oh my God! This is this is ancient history. Our millennials don't know what you're talking I about. Know, Go right, ahead. Exactly. Right. I'm not <laughs> sure Dan knows who Gary Hart is. Yeah, right. <laughs> Gary, right. The, the monkey business. But, he knows yeah. who Dan is. Yeah, right. exactly. But Gary Hart, junkie. if you don't right. believe me, follow me around. Right. That right. Gary Hart. Exactly. Yeah. Hey, Joe, the, Biden, Joe Biden. Yeah. On a ship. Okay. The the ship is sinking. Uh huh. Carter says, uh, "Women and children first. Yeah. And uh, um, Nixon, Nixon says, uh, "Forget about the book." They said it a different way. Yeah. And Gary Gary Hart says, "Oh, he, well, I have to say it. Uh, hey, okay. screw, screw the women. Yeah. Not, not forget about screw the women. Yeah. And Gary Hart says, "Do we have the time?" And, and Biden says, "Do we have the time?" Oh, I'm really glad we sat through that show. He'll <laughs> be at Zadie's this weekend, Monroe Anderson. Uh, but uh, yeah, the joke is Straight that he plagiarized. Straight to Saturday Night Live. <laughs> uh, so, uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, so your takeaways, uh, Dan, from yesterday as to where this campaign is heading? Like, what are some of the themes and trends that you saw yesterday that give us a sign well, of what's I, to come? I think, so building off of what happened yesterday and then going back to the topic that, that um, about the state of the race and how things project, there's no question that Biden had a big boost. He had a, um, a huge event in Texas that, you know, where, I mean, they were just rolling out endorsements and, uh, you know, Amy Klobuchar, Beto, they, they all... Spoke from they had a ton of elected officials up on the stage, and he narrowly won Texas, which is a pretty big deal. And they are they are pushing forward the idea that the that Democrats have uh, made him the nominee already. Mm-hmm. It's, we've come together. He's all of the language that he's been using are you know subtle digs at Bernie or not so subtle. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the problem with the theory is that. At any given time through this whole race or any other race that we've looked at, whoever has the momentum at that particular moment says, see, it's all over. But the momentum shifts. The momentum moves all the time. And so to conclude that because right now Biden has a lot of people supporting him and has some momentum that that can't turn around, you know, I think it's a little premature for that. That doesn't mean that Bernie will surge. Bernie has done things that have... You know, I think he did a good job pushing his ceiling from like twenty to thirty percent. Right, but, it's, but still, it's still at thirty percent. That's yeah. that's the problem. But well, but he has yeah. not had the opportunity, uh, in you know, to have that side by side comparison. And look, I, I think people you know get concerned about Biden's gaffes. I think sometimes people get overly concerned about them because they feel that they know him. So when he says something stupid or incorrect, <laughs> yeah. they just go like, well, we know what he meant. Yeah, you know? right. Uh, yeah. But we haven't had the opportunity to see them side by side. And until we do, and until people can start you know, making up their mind when they, they look, look, I think the smart money says Biden, but I don't think it's over by any stretch. Okay, I, I don't believe Biden's gaffes will hurt him. I've said this so many times. I think um, Biden's gaffes will be used by people like me, Bernie people, right. to, to uh, and, underscore and, and a decision nuts. we've already made, right. okay? Which right. is, I'm going to vote for Bernie, okay? And, uh, but everybody else will either just roll their eyes or say it's endearing. Like I always point out, 
Mayor Daley ruled the city forever, was as bad as Biden when it came to uh, completing a sentence, and people would still be electing him if he were running for office of mayor. So I don't think uh, uh, voters hold the incoherence of a candidate against them. Obviously, that's the case with Donald Trump, who's virtually incoherent all the time. So I don't think that's going to be a problem. So the issue is, the challenge to Bernie is, what can Bernie Sanders do at this stage in the ongoing primaries that raise that raise beyond 30%, get him beyond that 30% where he just seems to be lodged. Uh, he's talked about getting more voters to show up who never voted before. It hasn't happened. Right. Uh, he's talked about that this time would be better with black voters than 2016. Hasn't happened. Um, so what can he do? Okay, well, going forward. So I think, you know, I mean, just like uh, Monroe, you mentioned before about how Elizabeth Warren was everyone's second choice. Uh, Bernie Sanders has very good numbers uh, with African American voters. He just doesn't have the same intensity. Um, and, you know, so it's not the case that he's unpopular with the African American voters, it's that the African American voters overwhelmingly prefer Biden. Uh, I think that the challenge is, you know, I think that. The Sanders campaign tried to take some shortcuts in explaining some things early on that are really harming him right now. You know, his kind of theory of of change. We can win this campaign. We can win on these issues because there'll be a groundswell of people, you know, who have been, you know, disaffected folks will come out of the woodwork and support. But you need to actually demonstrate that Mm -hmm. uh, for people to believe it. So that undermines the viability case, even though he tests head-to-head against Donald Trump just as well as Joe Biden in pretty much every national poll, every swing state poll. But there's the perception that because he's a different sort of person than we're used to, you know, even though the the, the model that we're used to fails constantly. Yes. Um, But since he's a different model that we're used to, well, that's kind of risky. So I think he's got to make a better viability case. And then, you know, it's, there's some question whether he can backtrack on certain things. He has a political agenda a political platform that is quite popular. Uh, you can argue certain aspects of the Medicare for all as, as people do, but by and large, that's not an unpopular uh, proposal. And certainly, you know, having, boldly addressing uh, access to healthcare is an incredibly popular issue. The redistributive uh, policies, super popular. Um, but they managed to um, couch those policies in the worst possible way, you say, how do we implement these these popular things by revolution? Yeah. Right, he's yeah. speaking, <laughs> he, 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 he's stuck in the 60s, the late 60s, so he's using the language uh, 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 of that period, you know, it's always, it's the, the workers versus the, and you know, it, 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 as we know, labor unions are having trouble Right, right now, just by being labor unions, the Republicans, the right wingers, have so twisted that whole thing around. And he's talking about the workers versus everybody else. And he's, he's, he, I mean, he's using language from the '60s, revolutionary language from the '60s, okay. instead of updating it. Because he, he can make the same points, but right. just figure out a way to make it where it doesn't sound like. He's in the 60s. Well, here's the challenge, and this and Dan, this gets at to what you were just saying. Let's say he was to take uh, Monroe's advice and abandon some of the language he'd been using because it's too 60s or it's too outdated or too like talking about revolution. 
How can he make that argument at this point without looking like he's, like you said, right. backtracking? That's, that's, the, <clears throat> that's, that's the, the challenge. Um, and I think he's attempted to do it. There, there's a, you, you notice this every once in a while. So after the, uh, I believe it was the South Carolina debate, uh, in his, the post-debate interview, he very calmly sat down and said the words, it, 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 he closed the debate with this, but then he expounded upon it. He said, nothing I'm proposing is especially radical. Mm. Right. Now, the, the problem is that he has years, decades of framing these things quite differently from that. So he, he's kind of late getting to that point. But to, to go back to Monroe's point about you know the language of the 60s, what is uh, infuriating is the politics of the 60s is quite in vogue. Yeah. The issues, yeah. the, the want for really substantial change. The language needs to be updated and it would be enormously popular. So whether he can transition to, to that sort of thing is a big question. And then, you know, he yeah, can't and, have... And, and it's his challenge because, I mean, if he used a different language, he'd still be saying the same thing. And so right. it would be difficult for people to say, oh, well, he's flip-flopped or something like that. But, but it, it needs to sound more like now. Well, put it to you this way. When, at the debates, when Bernie Sanders would talk about the need for Medicare for All, which he did all the time... Uh, either Klobuchar or Buttigieg or Biden, or there was other centrists who were in the race of long since left, would come back and say, how are you going to pay for this? And Bernie would say, we need a revolution. Right. And it's such a vague response. Right. And it always kind of irritated me because, I mean, it's so easy for me to second guess what somebody's saying on the, on the, under the lights. But I always wanted to be more specific. Like, well, you know, we have this military budget that's $750 billion. You know, it's not like an either or thing. It's We could, we right. could shift that over to pay for it. You yeah. know? I mean, anything, I think, anything. I think there, there's a attitude that they have where they want people to be focused on, we want to go in this direction, not that direction. And people agree with that. But then people go, well, whoa, I, I've got a couple concerns. And they go, well, we don't want to talk about the concerns, so they ignore them when, in fact, most of the concerns people have, whether it's about viability, whether it's about implementing something like yeah, Medicare or, for All, or, or with, they can with, be addressed. Yeah, or with insurance, for example. Uh, he talks about Medi Medicare for All, and the, the counter to that is, well, there are 140 million people, whatever the number is, that have insurance and sometimes in unions who they fought hard to get, and they don't want to give it up. Uh, where a better argument would be, how many of you love your insurance company? Mm. And most people don't. I mean, even if you have a good policy, you don't love the insurance company because it's still outrageous, the copay. I mean, there are problems with it. And if you lose your job, you don't have it anymore. Well, all right, Dan, what Monroe says is that the heart of the debate that's been going on in the Democratic Party uh, in this campaign season on this very important issue. And the centrist to a T have declared that Bernie's leading them to disaster, electoral disaster, by insisting that people give up their um, private insurance plans. And I've watched the Democrats move right on this issue. That very first debate, I can't remember which network state, <clears throat> that everybody had to raise their hand. I think more hands were in the air uh, with Bernie 
where they, then yeah, they're, they're gradually only, yeah, the right. hands came down. I think there was down. only one. That, initially, there was only one hand that, that wasn't wasn't in the air. Yeah. Buddha Judge flipped. Uh, uh, Amy Klobuchar. Well, she, I don't. I think she may have been actually one of the. Yeah. I don't even know if she was on the stage then. But uh, Kamala Harris. Remember, she said, "Oh, I didn't understand the question." Remember that one? Yeah, right. Uh, and I just watched one by one. All of a sudden, Pete Buttigieg became outspoken. You know, he didn't just flip. He just became outspoken. This is disaster. We can't, we can't like Monroe said. We, people are going to give up their private insurance. They love their private insurance. Blah blah blah. Et cetera, et cetera. Uh, is there any way that Bernie can confront that divide and and in a way that enables him to win this nomination? I think that what what Bernie Sanders needs to do is reassure people that aren't automatically with him that he's not scary, that he's not rigid. Um, and he doesn't have to, and he ought not to backtrack on, on any issues, but, you know, just... When you have an issue that you can easily argue for, and and people have, I mean the the idea, as you said, uh, you know the the issue being my health insurance plan is going to be taken away from me is is absurd on its face. But I think that you can present the way forward not as revolution, which makes people sound again like you're going to force me to do it and overthrow my wishes, but say we're not going to get Medicare for all done until we have a, a genuine grown-up conversation about it nationally and get people on board, mm-hmm. right? Even just that is a little bit more reassuring because then people can say, you're gonna, you're gonna listen to me? Right, no, his problem is he needs to smile more, he needs to s- display a sense of humor more because he seems like he's, pre- he's he, I told you, he strikes me as the dirt, the, the cranky old man Wait, said, yelling, get no, off my lawn. It's a little late for <laughs> Bernie Sanders to turn into a song and dance guy. You know well, what I'm saying? He doesn't have to I mean, do a song and dance, but he, 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 has, to, he has to be a little <laughs> softer because uh, he comes at you too hard. But that's kind of what... Bernie guys, that's, that's, that's what we like about them. Right. But that's but expanding yeah, but, expanding beyond that yeah. r- requires understanding that a lot of the voters who agree with him on the issues, and th- this is again the absurd thing, he's having trouble attracting voters who agree with him on yeah. most of the major issues, and he needs to be able to approach them on their terms uh, using that language uh, in, in order to grow that support anymore. I, I think it's an easy trap for people to surround themselves with like-minded folks and say, well, we all agree with this. We just want to force everyone else to agree with us without yeah. listening to what their concerns are and how to, to make, you know, bridge that gap. All right, and uh, going back to the all-important uh, black vote in this primary, we've said this so many times in the air, you're not going to win without black support. You're not going to get the nomination. Not, not a Democrat. Uh, not, yeah. Yeah, duh, right. yeah, not a Democrat. Right. Yeah, Donald Trump, no. yeah, that's right. a whole other ballgame. Exactly. Let's get rid of him. Let's think Let's about this. Let's send him back he, to he, Africa. Uh, he's, uh, the, that, that was Monroe Anderson who said that. <laughs> um, for Trump and for, his Yeah, people. yes, I got it. Uh, so, not my opinion. Um, the, the message that has gotten out about Bernie, it, straight from Obama, is that somehow or other he's a danger to the party? Obama's he, Obama hasn't said that literally, but he's kind of let that message get out. And one thing I well, took well, away from no, yesterday, the 40, Obama has yeah. a huge impact. With yeah, of black course voters. he does, but no, but the forty um, new congressmen who get, who got swept in, in in eighteen in the midterms, yeah, they are saying that they're uh, they are afraid 
of that they will lose their seats with Bernie at yeah, the Yeah, but I'm making a difference. That's not going to... Okay, you're, that's a rom talking point. No, it's uh, true. Yeah, but, I mean, uh, it's, some of, you you you're not going to believe this. I'm sure. Sometimes rom is right. <laughs> right, exactly. Sometimes he knows what he's talking about. Take a chill pill, man. The, <laughs> definitely, the views and opinions of Monroe Anderson are only those of Monroe Anderson, and not in any way reflect those of anybody in this no, room. Right now, well, not, maybe a right, couple people. Right, now, um, right, all right. right. So. Uh, so Ken, is there? Do you see? There's a strategy that he can employ to build his support among in black voters? Um, I, I think that it's going to be difficult with the African-American voters more than um, other groups. Um, you know, um, it's not a question of getting to a place where he can win the black vote. Uh, if he were competitive with the black vote and and commensurately picking up with uh, white voters, especially more moderate white voters, he could be competitive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, you know, I, I think that um, one different factor is it's, I don't know of a case where you have a candidate who has such strong support with the Latino vote and it's, it's flipped with the African-American vote. Yeah. I think that's a dynamic we're not used to seeing. Um, with Chewy the Garcia Army. versus Rahm Emanuel 2015. That dynamic was at play in the city of Chicago. I've never seen it on a national level so dramatic. 2015, the city of Chicago, there was a mayoral runoff between incumbent mayor Rahm Emanuel, uh, who Monroe loves more than life itself, uh, <laughs> versus Chewy Garcia. I voted for Chewy. Uh, confession so time. You're, you're competing for my um, <laughs> comedy spot. <laughs> Monroe doesn't really like Rahm. I'm just teasing. But uh, anyway, uh, in that race, I would say 80% of the Latino voters in Chicago went with Chewy. And what was it, Monroe? Like, 60% of the black voters yeah. went with Rom, something about, like that. Right. So it's kind of a similar... I mean, that that's, I think, less of a stark difference than what you have with Bernie and Biden with mm-hmm. the Latino and black voters right now. It's 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 an unusual situation. Do you have an explanation for that? Um, no. Monroe, do you have one? That, that We were asked that at the promontory, and it was... Delmarie Cobb, me, I mean, we didn't, we were like, ah, we didn't know how to answer what, that. One of the MSNBC News um, Hispanic commentators mm-hmm. said that uh, the reason that Biden, uh, Bernie is popular with Hispanics is because of his um, free college and um, his, his um, immigration um Laws, policies, policies mm-hmm. that he wants to change. And there's a third one I can't remember, but it's it's very specific to them. Mm-hmm. You know, um, with the whole immigration, um, sh- shipping them back to Mexico or wherever. I mean, you know, there are people. I was joking about my going back to Africa or something, but I I don't worry about that. Yeah, that's a real concern with Hispanics. And it's it's having a terrible impact on their children because they're worried about whether their parents will be here or not. And and that's that's a moment where Bernie's, one of his strength, I think, is his conviction. He doesn't back down. So he's, you know, he's out there just uh, uh, vehemently opposed to Trump's policies. And Obama's, Biden, Obama slash Biden, because Biden was the vice president, their position on immigration issues was not... 
solid gold, by the way. There were a lot of deportations during the Obama era. Right. So I think that you're absolutely correct. That's a that's a uh, instance, and, but but it doesn't work. Like for instance, on the crime bill, where uh, uh, Joe Biden as a senator was linked to the crime bill, the Clinton cr- crime bill, it did so much to incarcerate so many black people in this country. Yeah. But he's not paying a price for that at the polls right now with black voters. Monroe at all, not yeah, with, at all. Yeah, well, Actually, know, because, with a lot of younger African Americans, right, exactly. uh, he absolutely is. Right. But the 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 age breaks for the African American vote point. has been very skewed older. In other words, this is another problem Bernie faces. In other words, uh, younger yeah. people aren't showing up. Is yeah. what you're saying? Yes. Well, and and the thing is, with younger younger blacks, they have to worry about the Bernie's uh, <laughs> Biden's crime bill uh, and the impact. Of it, you know, they saw older blacks, their parents, and what have you, mm-hmm. impacted by it. Yeah. Um, older blacks, it's you know, it's coming, it's past. It was a screw up. Um, the thing is, when when they introduced it, crack cocaine was hitting the streets. A lot of crime was going on, and um, they were they were pressing their black representatives to come up with something to 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 impact that that's a that's a very good 1995 was a much different time well and the other i mean when you just when you think about the composition of the the latino voters um and the african-american voters uh the the latino community is uh is is younger overall yeah you know and and newer and and there are fewer long-standing political institutions that are tied to uh, you know other politicians who have those Long-standing institutional right, ties. Right, the NAACP is for Bernie, just for just for. I mean, um, uh, Biden. Yeah, for Biden. I'm yeah. not surprised. Yeah, right. Uh, I was uh, gonna. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say no, what? No, 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 <laughs> Something no, no. happened that why I wasn't paying attention. No, I, I, my, my bees get mixed up. What? Dan Cohen, Monroe Anderson, thank you very much. I know you guys will be back as this campaign unfolds. Uh, as a Bernie supporter, it was a rough night for me last night. So, And I know as a non-Bernie supporter, it was a great night for you, Monroe. Dan is sort of uh, neutral in this thing. So. I'm not neutral. <laughs> oh, you're not neutral. You keep that. You kind of come across as neutral when you're sitting I here. I like to be objective. Okay, very good. And, uh, uh, Dan, I was going to say, uh, you got the ears of our listeners here. Is there anything you got going on? Any websites? Anything you'd like to plug? Anything like that? Uh, I, I kind of rant on Twitter a lot. All right. Is, uh, Dan Cohen says. <laughs> Dan Cohen says. So you get to see the other side of Dan when he's not so neutral <laughs> and quote unquote objective, <laughs> which is a word I don't even believe in. Uh, Monroe? Followers. I mean, I like Facebook. I, I have a thousand and some. I want that number to grow. I, I have 5,000 Facebook friends, so I can't add anybody. I urge, absolutely urge all uh, Trump listeners out there to go uh, to Monroe's Facebook page. He will do battle with you. There's there's not a Trump person in the world who's beat him yet. But, you know, hey, give it a shot, guys. Oh, no, they think they have because they're not that bright. Oh, okay. All right. That's a good enough place to leave this. We got uh, Jacob Meister sitting on deck. Uh, We're going to do a little shift here from national politics. Uh, He's running for clerk of the circuit court right here in Cook County. Before it's all said and done, I may throw a, a question of national politics to him. The guy's a political junkie. We'll be right back after this. Did you know that 40% of the people in Illinois opt to be cremated? Well, it's true. And Chicagoland Cremation Options honors their wishes by providing cremation services directly to the general public. 
Chicagoland Cremation Options provides an affordable, ethical, and easy cremation arrangement, whether in person or online. Save thousands and streamline the process by going directly to Chicagoland Cremation Options. It's a family-owned business operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. Here's how you reach them. Chicagoland Cremation Options. Options.com. One more time. Chicago Land Cremation Options.com. It's Chicagoland's adult entertainment playground. It's the world famous Admiral Theater, 3940 West Lawrence Avenue. The Admiral is homegrown from Chicago, and it's the most conveniently located club in all of the city. 15 minutes from the O'Hare Airport in downtown Chicago Loop. Voted Chicago's best strip club, the Admiral has showgirls galore and a variety of adult entertainment shows. The world-famous Admiral Theater, open every day from 7 p.m. to 6 a.m., 3940 West Lawrence Avenue. For events, showtime, and other information, visit AdmiralX.com. Must be 18 years of age or older to enter. I think there's a lot of incentive to blow up um, disagreements in the party as like huge fights um, because I think it's important for us all to recognize and we do this in our rallies to recognize the people who have been in this fight to allow us to have this window mm -hmm. as we do right now. You know, Nancy Pelosi, that's mama bear of the Democratic Party, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> So this idea is a bunch of malarkey. Commercial break over. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Jacob Meister in the studio. Monroe Anderson is left. Dan Cohen is left. Jacob Meister in the studio. Going to shift gears, talk local politics. Uh, and uh, before we do that, you got an update, young man? Absolutely, I do. The gentleman with us uh, is running for a title. It's uh, very, uh, very confusing to pronounce sometimes. Cook County Circuit Clerk Court, right? Clerk of the Circuit Court. Of Cook County. Yes. That's so a, a it's a tongue C's. twister. Tongue twister, <laughs> it, all right? <laughs> but we'll get into what it does. But, uh, but yeah. to learn more about the election he's running for and more, we uh, strongly encourage you to check out our backroom deals. Ben and Maya Dukmasova uh, have returned with another batch of backroom deal episodes, all things the primary elections. We even learn about the water reclamation. That is correct. Yeah. Tons I, was, of, I was thinking of running for it because I love water so much. He loves water, guys. I'm trying to get him to run for it. He won't do it. <laughs> but uh, all of those, the water wreck, Supreme Court, the Senate seats, and so much more. It's this batch, uh, this uh, edition of the Backroom Deal. Ben Jarofsky and Maya Dukmasva, the Chicago Reader. Go download it at chicagoreader.com and wherever else you download your favorite podcasts. All right. Uh, Jacob Meister, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. Man, you got some deep pipes. Should have been in radio. Hey, I've been, I've been told that before. I'm like, Wolfman Jack. I got the Wolfman Jack. You got the Wolfman Jack. You're probably the only one in this room who knows what Wolfman Jack is besides me. All right, Jacob Meister, introduce yourself. Take some time to introduce yourself uh, to our listeners, who you are, what your background is, how you got to the stage where you're running for office. Yeah, well, you know, I'm a practicing lawyer for the last 30 years. I've practiced in the circuit court of cook county that's my home base i've also practiced in courts all around the country um i'm a civil rights lawyer i also uh, founded the civil rights agenda which is a statewide lgbt uh, civil rights organization um and the circuit court clerk's office in cook county is ethically and operationally broken and it's a situation that infuriates as you know, lawyers and judges across the board, you talk to any of them, you start seeing the veins popping out of their temples because it is such an infuriating office uh, that we, we know the ethical issues. Uh, you know, the current clerk, uh, Dorothy Brown, Dorothy Brown is retiring 
and she's been accused of selling jobs. Mm -hmm. Uh, Most recently, there was an indictment relating to an individual who paid her $15,000 cash at the corner bakery across the street from the Daily Center. And this office needs to be fixed because it affects substantial justice. Most people have no idea what the clerk of the circuit court does. Um, But I think in layman's terms, it's a chief operating officer for the Cook County court system, does everything from collecting all of those fines, fees, forfeitures that are ordered by the court and child support, operates all of the courts uh, dealing everywhere from traffic court to orders of protection, the criminal courts, the juvenile courts. It's a massive court system having almost 400 judges. Uh, It's the second largest court system in the United States. Some say the second largest in the world. Um, It has a budget of uh, $120 million and 1,500 employees. So these employees do everything from man the massive record center out in Cicero to manning every single courtroom. You know, they're the ones who swear you in as a witness or raise your right hand. Um, they have the clerk's office is where you file all your paperwork. They're in charge of all the files. They run the IT systems, uh, the, the court's computer systems. Um, they collect the child support. They, you know, it's, it's, it's a very, it's a, it's a massive job. And when the clerk of the circuit court doesn't do his or her job, it has a ripple effect through our entire system. Um, the, the clerk's office is who gives the orders to the Illinois Department of Corrections to either release a prisoner or hold a prisoner, tells them what their sentence is. Sheriff of Cook County, state's attorney, the public defender, all the private lawyers, we rely on information that comes out of the courts. And it comes as a shock to most people to find out that we as judges and lawyers still handwrite out mm-hmm. court orders longhand in triplicate with carbon paper. And that is the state of record keeping in the courts today. And that means that uh, there's a big paper jam that stands in the way of everyone else's ability to do their job. So I, as a lawyer, can't just go online and pull down the most recent order or what's going on in the case, find out in a concise way, like I can in almost every other jurisdiction in this country. So I am forced to get in a car or a taxi, go down to a courthouse, get a printout yeah. of the of whatever whatever document I'm looking for. So print it out just so I can go back to my office and scan it yeah. because I just want a PDF because that's the way I do my business. And when you multiply that times the million and a half cases that are pending in the circuit court at any given time, you know, you're talking about millions and millions and millions of of paper records. And that interferes with everyone's ability to do their job. So the Department of Corrections ends up holding prisoners because they don't they're not getting the paperwork's not making it yeah. to them or there's inaccuracies in the way it's been entered into somebody's computer system um, or the clerk's office loses files yeah. regularly 
All right, this is one of those classic cases. I talked about, the, we were talking about this earlier, about uh, Chicagoans and Cook County voters uh, not really being following. Uh, they, they're not, if it doesn't, if they don't deal with it on a regular basis, Jacob, it doesn't exist. And so what you're talking about for somebody like me or other reporters who are constantly, not so much me anymore, but back in the old days, you're constantly going to the, uh, the courthouse, you want documents you want uh, court files uh and it, it always i mean it made me laugh it was like going back into a novel by charles dickens <laughs> bleak house like you'd fill out a form and they would give you a file which is filled with all these papers and just different court orders a lot of times it was just you're absolutely correct i'm laughing when you i would just the memories of court orders you're into scrawl of some judge and Sometimes the stuff you were looking for was not in the file. Mm-hmm. That's problematic because you want the complete file. And then you're scurrying up to the judge's chambers to see if maybe they're up there. I had two thoughts when I saw it. One, the per- this is a very important job because you're the repository of all this essential information. It could be life or death information in the case of literally, literally, literally a, a defendant or a plaintiff in a civil case, whatever. And the point is, it's very important information. I've always felt, I've said this in the show, that the clerk of the circuit court should be one of those obsessive people who's really good at organizing stuff. And so does Jacob <laughs> Meister fit into that category are you an obsessive person who like if i went to your office right now i'd see all the files properly put away you're, you are you an orderly human being yes yes you wouldn't find my desk to be in exactly great shape but <laughs> but yeah so you i have i have i have files i do a lot digitally and electronically I'm regularly asked, why in the world would you want this job? Yes. You got a great law practice. You got a great law practice. You know, you're really well known and respected. And I say, you know, I ran for this office four years ago because I am fed up and somebody's got to come in and take it over and make it operate for all of the stakeholders who use this court system and rely on the court system. Um, You know, Lawyers and judges have gotten almost to the point of like beaten into complacency and just saying, oh, it's never going to change. This is, we just have to deal with it. We have to keep, you know, we're, it's never going to change. And that's wrong because it can change. The court systems I deal with all over the country are wonderful. All right. So and, what are you going to do for the get go? The absolute first day you're, you're in office, what's, what is the first thing you're going to do? Well, the first thing I'm going to do is, um, we've got a morale problem problem too. And I, I, I think we need to back out of this problem the same way we got into it. So we've got to, you know, first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to meet with all of the clerk staff across the board and let them know that relief is there. Cause there's a lot of very good dedicated people in the office. Many of them whom are supporting me uh, in my run and they know that the court system can do better uh, and that it's a leadership problem. So we've got it. You know, we start with it. We start with our staff, um, and we do a complete audit of of our the file system. And we're making sure. I mean, from my perspective, everything sitting in the Cicero Record Center, any active files, we have to image. The county has committed thirty six million dollars to a case management system 
which is in being rolled out in our criminal courts, um, and it is a big problem. It, it is riddled with errors, and there's big questions as to whether or not the vendor they chose, Tyler Technologies, was a wise choice. And if somebody had bothered to just Google Tyler Technologies, they would have seen that the California courts, the Arizona courts, the Texas courts, the Florida courts all had major, major problems with the Tyler Odyssey system, and it took years for them to work through it. The good news is, after about four or five years, the Los Angeles County Courts, which is the largest court system in the country, managed to get a system that is really working well, but it costs a lot of extra money um, and customization. Mm -hmm. uh, Tyler Technologies provides the case management for about 25% of the courts across the country, but off the shelf, it may work well in South Dakota, in a small county in South Dakota, but when you put it into the second largest court system that has so many nooks and crannies, it's 11 operating divisions, I've practiced in, in all but one, it, every, every division has its own nooks and crannies in the way that it needs a computer system to meet its needs, and that is was never it, done. So is you said $36 million has been committed by the county. Uh, to bring in this case management system. Is there a way if you, if you come into office and say, no, let's please put the brakes on this. Let's rethink which system we're going to employ to change this decision? Or is this just it's, a train it's, that's it's, left it's, the it's, This is a train. We are, we are already beyond waist deep in commitment to this So you're going to have to deal with this. You're going to have to deal with it. But it, the, the good news is that the L.A. County courts uh, have been through it. And it's the system is is Whose idea widely was accepted. to use this in Cook County. Well, there has never been a really good relationship between the county board and um, and Dorothy Brown um, and and Tony Preckwinkle. What happened was, and this goes back in history, the the Supreme Court wanted to go to an electronic filing system. And you have to understand there's a difference between electronic filing, which is what users do to get to get to get files filed, uh -huh. and a case management system, which is what captures all that information, indexes it, and keeps, you know, keeps the records. So the first step was to put in place an electronic filing system. And because Cook County was the largest system court system in the state by far um that the supreme court really wanted the the circuit court of cook county to take the lead well that never happened and there were years and years that went by dorothy brown finally uh, hired one of her big contributors a, a company called online information system olis out of alabama mm -hmm. to put in place a what was a voluntary electronic filing system, not a mandatory electronic filing system. And they ended up collecting a lot of money. So she took the position of, this is the vendor we're gonna use. They've developed this system, we've gotta use it. And the Supreme Court wasn't having any of it. So effective about a year and a half ago, Supreme Court, well, it was before that, the Supreme Court made a deadline for implementing mandatory electronic filing, which was effective July, after a few extensions, July of 2018. Mm -hmm. um, and they selected uh, 
Tyler Technologies to provide that service. They I, being the Supreme Court. Yeah, yes, they mandated that was, and it was going to be a state, it's a statewide system and Tyler is coming in <laughs> doing it because, because, because they weren't going to go with online information systems, which was the solution that Dorothy Brown was offering us. And they went with a vendor that, you know, it's 25% of the courts use across the country. So how bad can it be? It's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. It's a, it's a system that is, I should say when it first came out, it hardly worked. Now a year and a half into it, they've tweaked it and customized it. It's still frustrating to use. It kind of does the job in a very clunky way. The people I feel worse about is the pro se litigants who now have to mandatory file anything and it, it to try to navigate the online filing system is horrific a pro se litigant is someone who Who's represents in, themselves correct correct and, and they don't have the money to pay for a lawyer so they do it themselves right and so you want to try to log in and use make use of this online filing system the only way you can get instruction is to travel to one of the court locations. Yeah. The, the wait times can be a couple hours, three hours. So you have to a half day just to file your paperwork. Whereas you used to be able to mail it in yeah. and then they'd stamp it and get it back to you. Um, and so we've created a barrier to justice in trying to put in place another barrier, to another justice. barrier to justice on top of all the other barriers to justice that already existed, having nothing to do with computers. Correct. Correct. There've been a lot of barriers to justice that existed in Cook County, throwing people into jail who didn't keep it in there because they can't pay uh, their bond. You lost a file. You, you have people sitting in, you have people sitting in the, as a matter of fact, the reader is the one who did the, the whole article on the, the prisoners who are sitting in, in the, Department of Corrections, sometimes for years, and their appeals can't move forward because the clerk can't locate the file. And you know the the appellate defender's office, which is the public defender of for for appeals, um, issues a report every year of their backlog, and it's astounding mm -hmm. the hundreds of appeals that can't move forward because the clerk of the circuit court of Cook County can't find the file to get it to the appellate court and without a, a record an appeal an appeal doesn't move forward i'm utterly depressed by this conversation please give me a sign of hope let's say you get elected what can you do to rectify this well you know access to justice so we talked about the the, the online filing issues which are which are major for pro se litigants for those unrepresented i want to put computer filing kiosks in every library in cook county and have training for librarians so that they know how to navigate the electronic filing system and can help folks out in the neighborhood weekends and evenings. So if you're, if you're an elder, if you're elderly and you don't know how the computer works, you don't have to get, you know, sometimes in some parts of the county, you have to get on two or three pace buses to make it to the nearest uh, courthouse and then sit sit for hours just to have somebody give you instructions. Let's have that available in our libraries, in our neighborhoods, on evenings and weekends. People shouldn't have to miss work just to get assistance to navigate this bureaucratic uh, filing system or this electronic filing system. Um, so it, it's really common sense approaches to how do we, how does our court 
operate moving forward? I mean, you've, you, you mentioned, you know, going down to daily center and pulling your hair out, <laughs> trying to get files. I mean, yeah. I've been through it a million times. <laughs> the customer service is horrible, but as we're moving into an electronic era, um, we have the opportunity and I think it's incumbent on whoever is the next clerk of the court to rethink how we do things. Cause that whole office there, yeah. you know, those big cavernous offices yeah. were designed in the 1960s based on how you know, the architects literally planned yeah. it on how you move paper from desk a to desk B. And then once we go electronic, let's, let's rethink customer service and how that office is physically laid out and how that office is brought into the, the world of technology so that it's much easier to navigate and use. So yes, we need to go into public libraries everywhere. We need to do expungement seminars all over the county in, in town halls. We've got 700, over 700,000 cannabis expungements that um, can happen, need to happen. And the only way we do that is by doing outreach and going into the communities and making sure that we're communicating with people um, as part of our, our criminal justice reform and just social and just, just justice reform in general, um, we need to make sure that the clerk's office is accessible because that is the point of access for folks who are eligible for expungements and need to know mechanically how they do it. And mm -hmm. having one expungement seminar a year is, is inadequate. We need to do it uh, all over the county constantly. Now, Jacob, you said you ran 2016, correct? Correct. Uh, against Dorothy Brown, the incumbent, correct? correct? And she was victorious in that primary, correct? correct. Like, yes. I feel like a lawyer. I'm going to rule with a lawyer, <laughs> correct? You're leading, the, you're leading the witness. <laughs> Where am I going with this? I have no idea. <laughs> At what point did you? No, okay. Uh, it's, all of a sudden, I just like felt my inner lawyer going, I'm going to correct. Yeah, correct. Now, where am I going with this? So That's correct. Oh, thank you, Robert Mueller. All right, so... My gripe against voters in Cook County, Illinois, we, we already joked about this earlier, so we were talking about a state rep race where people really aren't paying attention. Uh, and so, you know, they like one candidate supported by Lori, all right, I'll vote for her. Another candidate supported by J.P. Pritzker, all right, I'll vote for her. How are you going to break through? 2016, people knew the name Dorothy Brown. Uh, anybody who had anything to do with the court system as a lawyer knew it was a completely dysfunctional system. So if there's any logic governing Cook County voters and the way they deal with these essential elements of their life, they would have ousted Dorothy Brown for incompetence. And I say this is a guy who voted yeah. for Dorothy Brown for mayor in 2007, okay? I'm just putting that out there, <laughs> all right? I would do pretty much more for anybody over Richard M. Daly. That said, how do you break through to voters and get them to realize? It's like forcing them to eat their vegetables. This is important. You don't know about this, but this is an important office that governs, controls so many, so many documents that people need to have access to if they're going to navigate the criminal justice system or our civil system. So how do you get through to people uh, in an election like this where you're trying to get them to realize how important it is to vote for this office or vote for somebody that can turn this office around? Well, you, you bring up a very good point because we've got a ballot that people are going to be faced with that has 250-something ballot positions on it. 
And it's, it's daunting, particularly for people who are, you know, known as low information voters. They show up, they're like, okay, I'm going to vote. And then all of a sudden they see, oh, this is not just the presidential election. <laughs> this is not just members of Congress. Oh my God, yes. what is this? I got, I'm, I've got this, like, I don't know anything about about this office. That's what happened in 2016. As you recall, you know, Hillary Clinton, everybody, everybody in politics was assuming that by the time of the Illinois primary, mm-hmm. Hillary Clinton was going to have it sewn up yep. and we are going to have nothing but what are known as high information voters. Those who research things, they know those were my voters. Those are the ones who look at it and go like, Oh wow, this, this office is important. And here's all the, you know, we, we really need to clean it up. Dorothy Brown's you know, corrupt and we need to get her out of office. Um, What happened is Bernie Sanders was around and you had a lot of enthusiasm around the presidential election and then people went down ballot and they voted for the ones whose name they recognized. So there's about 600,000 of those voters who showed up who just checked off the Dorothy Brown name because they didn't know that she was, that the FBI had come in and seized all her electronics. (laughs) That There were, you know, all the accusations and the the shady dealings. Um, And... You know, unfortunately, the clerk's office every it runs in the presidential cycle, so so much is determined. You know, every four years by what's happening at the top of the ticket. That's what drives the the clerk's race. Um, you know, I've been a proponent of two things. One is to separate out our local elections from those national elections and have a separate primary, so that people can focus in on our county races. And our judicial races at the same time? No, do you do it? You say we do it in in June or in August, um, and that would just have a separate election, not this whole big consolidated where you're having the presidential just taking all of the oxygen out of the room, um, so that voters who are higher information voters are going to show up and they will they will you know vote. Mm-hmm. for the judicial races there because it's important to them to vote and those are going to be the educated voters um you know we go down to a judicial races which there are oh. there's there's uh 15 18 with like 20 judges on there yeah. people don't have any information and they end up you know just voting on all oh, this name sounds good and you know <laughs> oh i'll vote for the I'll, I'll vote for the irish name or the i'll irish. vote for the I'll vote, I'll vote for the jewish name yeah. or whatever it is yeah um, and, and that's, that really affects our yeah, justice no, system in a profound way. And so that's one option. The other option is, and it comes right out of the Illinois constitution, which is that the constitution says that every county has a clerk of the circuit court and the clerk shall either be elected or appointed by the circuit judges. Now, people don't even know that, you know, there's, there's almost 300 full circuit judges in Cook County. And they all have a vote and they get together and they vote on the appointment of associate judges. They have, they vote on the appointment of a chief judge and it's a democratic closed ballot process. And that is a very intriguing option for the clerk of the circuit courts. The judges are probably are definitely in a, the best position to be able to say, yeah, this is a, we want these courts to operate mm-hmm. We want our trains to run on time, and this is a, cl- a clerk who is going to get the job done. And it, it gets the yuck politics 
out of the clerk's mm. office, which is really what's mm. bogged it down yeah. for decades and decades. The patronage, the patronage. All right, I, if I had a choice, I would go with your option A over your option B. Uh, I believe in more doc- democracy, not less. Uh, so, you know, listen, the judges themselves are a byproduct of a selection system that's controlled or has traditionally been controlled by the Ed Burks of the world. So I'm not sure I would say the judges of Cook County are the best choices to determine who should be the clerk of the circuit court. Just throwing that out right, there. Right. They're politically insulated. However, once elected, you're there. And the, the judges become much more independent and removed from Ed Burke of, from from the Ed Burks because they don't depend on Ed Burke to retain their jobs. They run for retention every every six years, and the voters, you know, it, it, we've had, Coglin was the first one since the seventies who was bounced. From who was bounced? Them. So there's there's political insulation there, and the judges just want the trains to run on time, and that's the job of the clerk. Yeah. You know, just keep the trains running on time. And right now, you know, it, it doesn't. It doesn't work. So it affects them in really profound ways. I was just in court a, a couple of weeks ago, and one of the judges who I've known for many years looked at me and said, Mr. Meister, <laughs> this is an, another day. I have no files in my courtroom at all. It's been all week. It was a Friday afternoon. It's been all week. She, yeah. and, and, she, and she jokingly said, you know, afterward, tell me what this case is about. Do you have any of the papers with you? you can show me um you know i had my file there and and then she jokingly said okay after we're done here we're going and we're gonna we're gonna form a protest in front of dorothy brown's office because this is epidemic i mean it's an epidemic the the cases just don't show up the files don't show up in courtrooms how do you do business you can't do business so jacob you're a successful lawyer your life would go on with you practicing law uh why do this passion it's pa- it's a passion for me i'm going to get this done it's going to be you know once and for all the, the this is an office that you know it's the sun times pointed out um the the machine wants to keep control of it's 1500 jobs it's patronage yeah. and you know it's the history of this office you know you go back to matt danaher Mm-hmm. Wow. I mean, just think about the history of this office. Matt Danaher, Morgan Finley, yeah. Dorothy Brown. I just named three of the last four. Jacob, are you from Chicago? I don't know. I, I can't remember. I, I'm from, as I say, the far north suburbs of Milwaukee. Oh, okay. from Milwaukee. <laughs> from Milwaukee. Uh, so it, it's, a north, it's a North Shore. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, the North North Shore. <laughs> Uh, no, I, I hear you. I, 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 did the Sun-Times endorse you? I should know the answer. No, I did not. Did not. The Herald gave me a, a tremendous endorsement. The papers are all split up. The Sun-Times, um, it's interesting. The Sun-Times kind of gave a backhanded endorsement to the party slated candidate. Uh, my, be- my beloved bright one drinking the party Kool-Aid there for a moment. Right, right, right. Uh, you know, and they, but, but they pointed out, they said, we, our, our great reservation is that he is the, Vice, oh, yeah, vice yeah, chair, yeah, yeah. vice chair of the Democratic Party yeah. of Illinois. He's a Madigan crony, and he, we, we, I think they said we suspect that the party's real interest here in putting him in, in slating him, is to protect their nearly fifteen hundred jobs, and that is the history of this office. Danaher, Morgan Finley, Dorothy Brown. You just think about, you just think about those that they, they've controlled that office that those list of people controlled that office for what 50 years mm-hmm. more than 50 years and 
it's it's been you know Matt Danaher what you know what was his background before they put him in as he was the he was he started out as the driver to Richard J Daly and then you know then he became oh we'll put you in as the 11th ward alderman oh and there's the circuit court no experience <laughs> whatsoever in the courts yeah. or in the operations his job was to manage yeah. The personnel, the patronage personnel, who gets what jobs, yeah. which precinct captains. And that is still going on. You know, the Madigan operation organization has lots and lots of jobs there. At some point in around 2005, Dorothy Brown realized, why am I giving these jobs out as patronage, you know, as political favors in the patronage system? I can sell them myself. <laughs> And, uh, it, you know, it, it, it became a different type yeah. of patronage operation. Um, and, and that that is a system that is just completely broken. It's antiquated. It's got to go away. There's federal oversight now in the clerk's office. Um, don't know why it didn't happen earlier, but we need to make sure that the office um, has really skilled, trained personnel, particularly as we're moving into the digital age where we're going to be relying on our courtroom clerks to actually, instead, instead of having long, uh, handwritten orders, they're going to do it digitally. But that means we need to put, uh, we need to have paralegal certificates in Cook County courtroom management and courtroom personnel need to go through that process um, so that we have uniformity across the board. There's, there's a lot of really good things we can do to make this office, to make the trains run on time. All right. Uh, Jacob Meister is his name, and uh, he's talking about his crusade to be the clerk of the circuit court in Cook County, running for office March 17th on the primary. It's going to be down the ballot, folks. You're going to really have to search for this one. You have to be intrepid. Well, It'd be 145. A good I'm, you know, it's 145. And, and you go <laughs> Right, and it goes down to 252 or 253, I think, is Are the you ballot. above or below the uh, delegates themselves? Below. Okay, it's th folks. When you see this ballot, you're gonna freak out. I know you're gonna freak out because it's if you're not paying attention, you don't realize it's just a whole slew of, of delegates who are running uh, with the presidential candidates. So the, the presidential <laughs> candidates run, then they got their slate of delegates, and then and you got members. You got the U.S. Senate, and then you got members of the U.S. House, and you got the state legislators, and you got. I mean, by the time you get down, you're gonna be exhausted. The poor befuddled voters <laughs> of Cook County. What's going on? They're going to have to listen to the Ben Jarofsky show. All right. Now, Jacob Meister, uh, you know, I've learned the hard way that whenever I have a candidate in this room and we're talking about the office he or she is running for, in this case, we're talking about uh, the clerk, the circular clerk of court, uh, got it. the clerk of the circuit court. Uh, they do not want to take a stand on the national race because they want everybody to vote for them. So you want a Biden voter to vote for you you want a bernie voter to vote for you you is anybody still in the race I, I, tulsi gabbard voter to vote for you uh and elizabeth warren person to vote for you right uh, did i get everybody who's still in the race i think that's i think, so. I think bloomy dropped today so uh but even if a bloomberg voter you want them to vote for you so knowing that i'm going to ask you the question anyway is there a presidential candidate that you favor or are you staying neutral in this election? Uh, well, I, I ultimately come down to anybody, anybody but Donald Trump. Okay. Um, you know, I look at it at the race as, you know, I've been, a, 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 and this is honestly, I mean, I, I, I have tremendous respect for Elizabeth Warren 
and a lot of the work she's done, particularly before she came to the Senate, academically, uh, great work, um, which I followed. Bankruptcy I supported law. her bankruptcy law, very important stuff. Um, I followed her, supported her for the U.S. Senate. I think she'd make a great president. Um, Joe Biden, I have been a supporter of for you know when I when he first ran for president, and he was you know the senator from Delaware. Um, you know, tremendous respect for him. Um, my heart, my passions, you know, Bernie Sanders, mm-hmm. you know, he's, he's like my grandfather, you know, <laughs> he's, uh, <laughs> I, he, you know, he, he, um, you I know, don't I'm, think I'm a progressive, I'm a progressive yeah. and, you know, I, I know that it becomes too divisive in our party and that concerns me. I think we need to be united. Whoever gets elected, we need to say, We've got to get rid of Trump. Um, but, you know, I, and that's where I come down to. Who, who am I, who, who do I support, you know, on, on balance? I'm, I'm a Bernie guy. But that's, you know, that's my passion. But ultimately, if Joe Biden gets the nomination, I'm going to be behind Joe All Biden. Right. I'm in agreement with you. I'm a Bernie guy, but if Joe Biden gets a nomination, I'm going to be <laughs> <laughs> Joe Biden. I can't say I uh, I have enjoyed watching Joe Biden's career. Uh, like Jacob, like you, I'm a political junkie, and we're about the same age. Maybe I'm old, I'm older than you, but we've been watching politics basically for the same era. So I remember Joe Biden in the '80s uh, at the Anita Hill, at Clarence Thomas hearings and stuff. So I've been watching Joe Biden's career. So I do get a kick out of Joe Biden. I have to say, uh, he's an interesting, colorful politician. Let's he put is, it he that is, way. He is, he uh, is. And, and um, you know, personally for me, you know, LGBT in the LGBT community, you know, he took the lead um, on on nationally on gay marriage yes. and really pushed the Obama administration to take a stand. Jacob as well. Meister, I never bought into that. I'm just going to say, you're going to say, Ben, you're too cynical, you're too skeptical. I always felt that was a choreographed dance. First of all, don't get me started on this, Jacob Meister, where Obama was for it. Then he was against it. And then he was like, am I safely reelected so I don't have to run again? Yes, I'm for it. <laughs> and they got the White House bathed in all kinds of rainbow colors. And wait a minute, now you're back where you were in 1995 when the parade began. I'm a cynical, skeptical guy, Jacob, because I've lived in Cook County all these years and I've watched the voters of Cook County elect and reelect Dorothy Brown, term after term after term, even though you can't get a freaking piece of paper out of the courthouse, okay? So it's easy for me to be cynical right. and skeptical. I, 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 you know, I, th- there's many people who say that and I don't, you know, we will never know. We will never know until Joe Biden or Barack Obama writes the uh, memoirs and go, boy, you suckers out there. <laughs> First I was for it, then I was against Anyway, it doesn't matter. Joe Biden uh, did take, although if you, I hate, to, I'm not, I hate to rain on your parade. Do not Google Joe Biden and gay marriage because you know what's going to pop up? That clip from the 2008 vice presidential debate where Joe Biden asserts boldly, no way under the Barack Obama administration will gay marriage be legal. Unbelievable. It's such a, hmm. it's like an artifact from an error when my beloved Democratic Party 
chicken as always to take a freaking stand on anything. Jacob Meister was like, well, we're going to play this one very cautiously because we're worried about swing voters in Wisconsin. Don't get me started. And then they evolved. And then they evolved. (laughs) (laughs) I think they had already devolved to that position. And you know what? True. I mean, it's yeah, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I can't help myself sometimes, Jacob. <laughs> uh, all right, spell your name so folks can find it on the ballot. How about that? Jacob, J-A-C-O-B. Oh, I that's, that's, that's the easy, easy one. <laughs> <laughs> a, Meister is M-E-I-S-T-E-R. You can find me at jacobforclerk.com. Um, and I'm number 145 on the ballot. And I, you know, I hope your voters will really take this race to heart and make sure that the next clerk is the best equipped to do it. I, by the way, of my opponents, I'm the only, it's amazing to me, the only candidate in this race who has regularly practiced in the circuit court of Cook County, um, and I've been doing it for 30 years, and there is just no way you can turn this office around unless you have intimate knowledge of how every, every single division operates and how work flows, because if you're overseeing you know, the redesign of our system, you have to know how the system works. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's one of the big problems Dorothy Brown had. She went to law school, you know, just shortly before running for clerk and then was able to say, oh, I'm a lawyer. Well, <laughs> big deal. There's lots of lawyers out yeah. there. You know, I got one of my opponents who was a SEC. He keeps saying he was a, a, a prosecutor he worked for the sec but they do civil they do civil work he never was a prosecutor but anyway and but that's in the federal system and now he's with the board of review and and we all know the problems you know your backroom deals went into the backroom deals that go on at the board of review and i've got another one who's you know uh, not a lawyer at all really knows not much about the court system and another one who's a who's a lawyer but he's a federal lobbyist Um, and worked on Capitol Hill his whole life and then did the revolving door thing and is, is just doing lobbying. And that is exactly what the courts don't need. They don't need another inside political insider, which when you look at it, I'm the only one who can honestly say I am not a political insider. The, the machine politicians don't really like me. All right. Uh, they might not like them, but we like them. Thank you so much for coming on the show. <laughs> thank you Jacob for having Meister, me. M-E-I-S-T-E-R. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Also want to thank young Dan Cohen, a political uh, pollster. Did a great job talking about uh, Super Tuesday. Monroe Anderson, a regular every Wednesday on the Ben Jarofsky Show. He's really feeling it, D. He was gloating all day today. Jacob Meister, Monroe Anderson, my dear friend. And I don't completely okay. see eye to eye. I'm more the Bernie guy. He's more the not Bernie guy. He was really happy today. So, the Bernie guys in the not Bernie guys, we need to all get along because you know what? We're all in the same boat. Yes, and there's a big hole in it. Oh, that was it, nice. <laughs> <laughs> it was nice. So I want nothing but love for Monroe. We're uh, dearest friends, even if we don't always see eye to eye. Uh, and of course, the man, the myth, the legend, the pride of joy in Alton, Illinois, who makes it all happen, the man behind the board who wheels and deals on that board like the maestro that he is. And as Jacob Meister can tell you, back home in Alton, they call him White Lightning. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. (laughs) Hey, if you're new to the program, no one calls me that. 
And remember, you can download any previous Benny J bonus interviews and previous Ben Jarofsky shows at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites and wherever else you download your favorite podcasts. Hey, downloaders, you know we live stream this show? It's true. Tuesdays through Fridays, 1 until 3 p.m. Central Time at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites and the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel. Join that YouTube channel and you can join the Ben Jarofsky Show live stream chat if you dare. Oh, it's a good time. Join Jeff, Johnny Joe, Ricky, and others. The Ben Jarofsky Show live stream chat. Join like-minded political people and a couple trolls. We'll see you tomorrow. Take a chill pill, man. That's correct.